Well, good morning again. Man, I don't know about you, but I love what the Lord's doing right now at Friendship, don't you? You know, I love the fact that, um, you know, our adult ministries are growing, our growth group classes are going, are growing, our men's and our women's ministries are growing, um, our, our student ministry is growing, our children's ministry is growing. I mean, Awana's is, is doing great um, right here at the beginning. Upwards is going great. We're a couple of um, games into Upward now, and, um, you know, yesterday probably on our campus we had a few hundred people that were here watching kids and grandkids and brothers and sisters play. Um, I want to tell you a, a quick story. It's pretty funny. Um, following, I think, our 10 o'clock game, Larry came over to me, and he goes, he goes, man, there was a ball that went out of bounds, and I didn't know who whose ball it was. And so I asked the kids, I said, whose ball is it? And one little boy said, I don't know, but I'll rock, paper, scissor you for it. <laughs> thought that was awesome. Rock, paper, scissors. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. This morning we are actually going to conclude our Jesus is Better sermon series. I didn't go back to look to see how many sermons we preached um, through Hebrews, but I know that it's been quite a few. So I'm excited about this coming to a close and as we kind of start getting into the fall and Christmas series, I'm, I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. But over the course of this series, we have been reminded what it means to have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I love what Rory Mosley, how he kind of wraps up Hebrews. <clears throat> he says, in Jesus, we have one who is greater than the prophets, than the angels, than Moses, than Joshua, than Aaron. In Jesus, we have a better covenant, a better sacrifice, a better anchor, a better city, namely a heavenly one that will last long after this earthly one is gone. What we know without a shadow of a doubt and what the writer of Hebrews was trying to convince those within this Hebrew church of is that Jesus is better, right? You believe that this morning, that Jesus is better? There's no one that compares to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Read with me this morning from Hebrews chapter 13, beginning of verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, from, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Our message point this morning is this. May all of us pray for God to equip us to accomplish every good thing according to his will. 
Isn't that one of the reasons that we come to church? Isn't that one of the reasons that we gather together on Sundays and Wednesdays and throughout the week? We come to be equipped. We come to be sharpened. We come to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to be encouraged by other believers, built up by other believers, and to be in community with other believers. Part of the equipping process happens when we sit under leaders that submit to God. Notice our first point this morning. Follow leaders who submit to God. We live in a world that has turned this word submission into a curse word, right? People don't like the word submission, yet we see this word woven all throughout Scripture. Kids are to submit to parents, citizens to governments, wives to husbands, employees to bosses, believers to one another, the church to the Lord, and the church to her leaders. But what we see in our world today is the exact opposite of this, right? Kids live in rebellion of parental authority. Lawlessness plagues our streets. Churches are crumbling before our eyes because of poor leadership. Homes are falling apart because men are not the spiritual leaders of their home. Believers are living independent of God instead of fully sold out to Him. This morning, we are challenged to obey our leaders and to submit to them. When you think about the primary responsibility that Christian leaders have, what would you say that responsibility is? Think about that a second. What is the primary responsibility that Bill and I have and, and Justin and Stephanie as your leaders? Man, it's to make disciples, right? The responsibility of Christian leadership is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, to equip all of us in this room to go out into the world to preach the good news of salvation and make disciples. The problem with so many of our leaders today is they are not making disciples of Jesus, but they are making disciples of themselves. I read this week on, on someone's um, social media site, they, they actually tagged a local pastor with this tag, celebrity pastor. I also saw, saw another tag, um, another post, and it's up here on the board here, but it says, are there any celebrity pastors in Iran? Think about that for just a second. Do you think that there are any pastors parading up through the streets of Iran this morning making much of themselves? Probably not, right? Last week, our first point was you and I need to follow leaders worthy of imitating. What we know is that leaders will be held accountable. It is one thing to be held accountable before man, but what we are told in Scripture is that we are going to be held accountable by the Lord. We will be held accountable based on how well we have stewarded the lives that have been entrusted to us. I love what Acts 17, chapter, or verses 10 and 11 says. Speaking of, 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 of Paul and the others, we read, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The church back 2,000 years ago 
held their leaders accountable, didn't they? They did not take the word of man as the gospel truth. They measured the words of man against the word of God, and that's what we all must do. That's what I hope you do in, in, in the afternoons of Sunday or throughout the week, whether I'm preaching or Bill's preaching or somebody else is preaching in this pulpit, that you're going back and examining the scriptures to make sure that what we say is the gospel truth. Brian Campbell said, the church's greatest mistakes occur when the people of God honor what a leader says without examining that instruction in light of scripture. Notice what James wrote. In James chapter 3, verse 1, James um, communicates, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. As leaders within the church, as believing leaders outside the church, we need people in our lives that will hold us accountable. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is it that you have in your life that holds you accountable? Holds you accountable as far as your, your walk with the Lord, as well as holds you accountable, accountable in relationship to your character within the world as well. As your leader, I am accountable before God and you. And I've got other men in my life that I can turn to when, when, when I need um, their strength and encouragement. In light of this, notice what we are to do. Leaders need our prayer. We need to pray for our leaders. In verse 18, we read, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Paul pleaded time and time again with those he led for their prayers. You read throughout um, all the epistle letters that Paul wrote and what Peter wrote and what we read in Hebrews. These leaders are calling for those that they lead to pray for them. Do you believe in the power of prayer, my friends? Do you believe in it? Do you believe that God can change the heart of a praying man or praying woman? Do you believe that your prayers can soften the heart of an unbeliever? I believe with all my heart that that can absolutely happen. David Thompson shared, it is said that D.L. Moody, the great preacher and evangelist, would often encourage people from all over the world to pray for him and his ministry. After Moody died, a story is told of R.A. Torrey, who went on a tour to preach in many countries, and he got the backing of a huge prayer chain. In Australia, 2,100 home prayer groups met um, for two weeks before R.A. Torrey came to that country to preach the good news of salvation. And the result is that huge numbers of people were changed by his preaching. If the people of the church regularly pray for their pastor and his leadership, some very powerful things can and will happen. As I pray for you, I pray that you pray for, for me and Bill and the rest of the leaders of this church because there is power in prayer. There is power when I pray for you and there is power when you pray for me. Notice next, um, leaders should be people of integrity. We see here that, that pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Here the writer pleads with the recipients of his letter to pray specifically for a clear conscience. A good leader strives 
to have a clear conscience. Leaders inside the church as well as outside of the church. How many of you have ever had a guilty conscience? Raise your hand. Probably all of us in this room at one time or another have had a guilty conscience. Why did you have a guilty conscience? Probably because you committed a sinful act, right? You committed a sinful sinful act before God and before others, and as a result of that, you felt guilty for what you did. I mean, think about some of the sins that they, that you committed as a kid. Um, so that piece of candy, probably from the from the some of y'all from the dime store, okay? Others of us from the quarter store, right? Um, but but you took that piece of candy and you probably felt a little guilty about it later. Not after, not right away because you ate that piece of candy. You enjoyed that piece of candy, right? But then at some point you felt a little guilty about that. You know, there's nothing worse than having an uneasy conscience. I pray for all of us in this room. I pray that when our days are up, we're going to be able to stand before others and before the Lord having a clear conscience, knowing that, that yeah, maybe we wronged some people along the way. Maybe we did some things wrong along the way. But the one thing we also did is we always made right the wrongs that we did. May we all be able to stand before the Lord one day with a clear conscience. Notice next, leaders should lead joyfully. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you there is much to my job as a leader, as a preacher, that is incredibly joyful. There's nothing like seeing someone come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's nothing like watching someone share a plan of salvation with another person for the first time. There's nothing like watching a person teach for the first time or preach for the first time. There's nothing like watching young people get married and start a family together or seeing those baptismal waters stirred getting on airplanes and leading people on mission trips to different parts of the world. Incredibly joyful moments as a leader. But there is also many moments that are simply not joyful. Losing friends in the church that die unexpectedly or as a result of old age. Nothing joyful about having to preach the funeral of a brother or sister in Christ. Nothing joyful about walking with friends and family members that have children that have gone astray. Nothing joyful about walking with individuals that are experiencing terminal illness. Nothing joyful about walking with husband and and wives that are contemplating divorce. Nothing joyful about having to deal with church discipline. Nothing joyful about those things, but regardless of those hard moments... As leaders, we are called to do what we do with joy in our hearts. If we don't have joy, then why are we doing what we do? Let me ask you this. Do you have joy in what you do for a living? Some of you are retired, okay? But there's still much that you can do in retirement for the Lord. Do you do what you do with joy in your heart? Teachers, do you find joy in shaping the next generation of students? Business owner, do you love what you do? Senior managers and staff associates, do you find joy in what it is that you do? If not, then why do you do what you do? If you're not doing what you do with God-placed joy in your heart, then it may be time to reevaluate 
what it is that you're doing. Because other people are affected when you are a joyless individual. Notice our second point this morning, a leader's blessing. You know, we, we're, we're wrapping up this letter now, and we're going to see that in the words that this Hebrew, um, or, or that the writer um, writes to the Hebrew church as well as us, and he's, gonna, he's wrapping things up now, and we see that in these closing verses. He says, I love this doxology here. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What is the writer reminding us here of? First thing is this, God is a God of peace. As the writer brings this great chapter to a close, he begins with God. He begins where he started, with God, the great shepherd. Pastor Phil Newton shares the term peace that is spoken of here in this scripture has its roots in the Hebrew word shalom, referring to a sense of wholeness, soundness, and well-being. It is the acknowledgement that the normal state of man is the absence of peace, right? There is conflict and chaos at the roots of our lives because of the sin that is present in our world. The Lord Jesus Christ, he came to bring peace to his church and to believers from the moment of their salvation. God is a God of peace. And God is the God who can give peace. He can give peace to a nation. He can give peace to a church. He can give peace to us as individuals. The prophet Jeremiah said, and this is the New King James Version. I usually preach from the ESV, but notice how the New King James Version reads. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for his people, doesn't he? And it is a plan for peace. Are you able this morning to say that you are a peaceful individual because of the peace of Christ that is in you? Also here, the writer specifically addresses the resurrection of Jesus. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd. The God of peace is the same God responsible for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I can have peace knowing that the work that was accomplished on Calvary's Hill some 2,000 years ago was absolutely sufficient for our salvation. The, 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 the new covenant that was established through Jesus at the moment of his salvation was sufficient to bring all of, or at the moment of his death, was sufficient to bring salvation to every one of us in this room. We are also reminded that our God is an equipping God. In verse 21, we read, um, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Our God is equipping God, and he equips us in, in everything good that we may do his excellent will. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person committed to doing the will of God and not my own. 
You remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples and us how we are to pray? He didn't, he didn't tell them to pray for our will to be done, right? He prayed for thy will to be done, for the will of God the Father to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. May you and I be individuals that are allowing ourselves to be equipped by God the Father. How do we become equipped by God the Father? We dig into the Word of God, and we allow God's Word to transform us. We allow God's Word to shape us and mold us and, and empower us to do the work that we have been called and set apart to do. Next, we see that God works in us to make us pleasing in His sight. Think about that. God works in us to make us pleasing in his sight. What is, the, what is God doing as he transforms us and molds us and shapes us? He's making us into his disciples, individuals that are being shaped in such a way that that which we do is honorable to him, pleasing to him. And that occurs as we are set apart, as we become that new creation, as we become the disciples that Christ set us apart to do. Warren Wiersbe wrote, when our great shepherd was here on earth, he was here to work for us. Now that he is in heaven, he works in us. Think about that for a moment. The Lord is wanting to actively be at work in us this morning and every subsequent morning and every afternoon and every evening, every single day. Uh, one writer shares, again, carefully observe how we please God by God working in us. The thing that pleases God is when we are doing the will of God. And in order for that to be accomplished, God must work in us. Anything we will ever do that is pleasing to God will be done through Jesus Christ. We need to be looking for God to work through us. We must want this. We must desire this. We must look for this. We must pray for this. How are you looking for ways for God to work in you and work through you? Is that a, a prayer of yours? God, hey, you know, every, every single Sunday morning before I stand before you, I'll always pray. I get down on my knees in my office and I, I ask the Lord to speak to me and to speak through me. That is what all of us need to pray on a daily basis for God to speak to us as we go about our day and for God to speak through us as we encounter other people. May that be part of our prayer. In closing this morning, notice a leader's appeal. In verses 22 through 25, again, we read, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Here, God instructs us to obey his word, right? You and I have been given 66 books as our textbook for life, right? This book is the story of God's redemptive plan for mankind. One writer, and I've quoted this before, um, and not just one writer, but many have said this, the word of God is more than just ink on a page. It is the very breath of 
of God. This right here is living and active. In Hebrews chapter 4, many weeks ago, we covered Hebrews chapter 4. But as a reminder, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and a marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is living. The word of God is active. It is alive. Do you live your life as if this word right here is alive? When you read it, do you read it as if it is a living, organic um, textbook for our life. I know that there's some times as I'm doing my daily reading when I come across something that may be in Leviticus or I'm le- reading something about some of the, the old laws or the old sacrificial system, man, it, it, I, I kind of have to be reminded of myself that it is living and active. Even though some of that stuff may not apply to us today within the church under the new covenant, We still need to read it because it was given to us for our instruction, right? The Word of God is living and active. The Word instructs us, but notice what it also does. It also exposes us, right? In in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Have you ever read God's Word and it was convicting? Have you ever read something and you were convicted as a result of what it is that you read? Maybe there was a, a sin that you had committed that you hadn't confessed, and as a result of reading God's Word, God brought that, that sin to your notice, and as a result of that, what did you do? Hopefully you asked God to forgive you, and if you had wronged somebody, you went and you made that wrong a right. God's Word is living, and it is active. The Word of God has been given to us to make us better and to make us more like Jesus, and we need to obey it. Next, we see that God blesses us with Timothys in our lives. Back in the day, Timothy was one of the most important leaders in all the church. He was not an apostle, nor was he a direct disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was a disciple of Paul, right? Paul was instrumental in discipling and equipping Timothy, let me ask you a question this morning. As believers, who in your life is a Timothy? There used to be an old discipleship book that was called Paul and Timothy, and the purpose of that book was for a Paul to walk with the Timothy, Timothy to invest in them and equip them according to God's Word so that they could go out and become a Paul to somebody else. So my question for all of us in this room is, do we have a Timothy in our life that we are investing in? Because we see what Timothy did. After he was invested in, he went out and he invested his life into the lives of others. He was an instrumental um, church preacher, and we read of that in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And obviously, he was a traveling evangelist because here he he has spent some time in a a prison in Rome, and now he has been set free, and he is is coming, um, probably making his way throughout the cities on his way to this Hebrew church. Who in our lives is a Timothy? Some of us in in this room, and probably all of us in this room, need a Paul in our life too, someone that's still investing in us, 
someone that is still taking God's word and helping to train and equip us as well. So let's all have a Timothy, and let's all sit under the teaching of a Paul as well. Next, there is a final plea that is given. We see here in verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Here, what the writer uh, is doing is he is, he is, he is say, saying, man, as, as leaders come in and, and through and pass through town, man, greet them, encourage them, invest in them. In fact, um, in, in, in um, Abbott Smith's Greek lexicon, he wrote this. He said the word um, here for greet means to actually welcome and salute someone, or as one writer said, to embrace them. You know, we need to embrace those that, 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 um, that lead us and equip us, and those that pass their town. Now, obviously, today, things look a lot different than they looked 2,000 years ago, but we can still be an encouragement to leaders, right? We can still tell them how we feel about them. You know, I love, um, you know, as I, as I, as I um, was kind of walking through this and, and, and thinking through this, um, you know, how many times have you ever um, sent, you know, somebody was leaving your house and they were going to somebody's house or leaving the church and they say, hey, we're going to go have lunch with somebody. And you said to them, hey, tell them I said hi. Has that ever happened to you? Or someone um, maybe you know, you're sitting at dinner and say, oh, by the way, John says hi to you. There's encouragement in that, knowing that those people are thinking about us, right? And what we're seeing here in this passage of Scripture is a reminder that we need to remember our leaders, okay? We need to remember our friends. We need to remember our co-laborers in the gospel and send them blessing and send them encouragement. And finally, we must recognize and be reminded as we have walked through this book of Hebrews, what we have read time and time again and what we have looked at time and time again is that our God is a God of grace and mercy and love. We see here God is a God of grace. The closing verse, grace be with all of you. I can't think of a better way to conclude this chapter to include this book than by looking at this word grace. This verse is another reminder that the old covenant has passed away and the new covenant of grace has come. You and I need to stop living our lives in the past as so many of these Hebrews did and we need to begin to live our life knowing that we live under the covering of grace and not the covering of the law. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you were to die today, do you know with absolute certainty where you would spend eternity? I want you to know that our God is a God of grace, that he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord Jesus Christ rose to life again three days later, providing a way for all of us in this room to experience salvation. So our closing verse is, grace be with all of you. The way Hebrews started, and I want to read to you the verse four verses. We read, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's nothing that compares to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is absolutely better. If you don't have a relationship with him, I pray this morning during our time of invitation, you will come and, 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 and repent of your sins and turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I know people outside the doors of this church that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we are commanded to go to them and to preach the good news of salvation to them. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning again thanking you for the opportunity, Lord, just to come together to study your word, to be changed by your word. I pray this morning, Lord, that if there is someone here that is yet to experience your glorious grace, they have yet to experience forgiveness for their sins and the freedom of knowing that they are no longer living in bondage to this world, but they can be set free living their lives for you. I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Today will be the day that they repent of their sins and turn to you to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. I pray this for those in this room. I pray that for those in our growth group hour. I pray for that for those in our next worship hour, those that will be joining us online. Father, just help all recognize your goodness and that you are absolutely better than anyone that has ever walked the face of this earth because you are the creator, the master, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.